The time is now 6 o'clock. Welcome to WORT's local news for Tuesday, September 26th. I'm your host, Christian Knutson. And I'm your host, Sarah Hopeful. In tonight's news, skateboarders may soon have more freedom to ride around Wisconsin. A flock of flamingos visits the shores of Lake Michigan. And disabled students at UW-Madison say that accessible transportation on campus isn't always accessible. All these stories and more on tonight's news. This is Christian Knutson and Sarah Hopeful with your local news, coming to you live from the WORT studios in beautiful downtown Madison. Here are tonight's headlines. U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin is joining the chorus of Democrats calling for the resignation of a colleague, Senator Bob Menendez, a Democrat from New Jersey. Menendez is accused of a vast bribery conspiracy, much of it related to U.S. assistance to Egypt and aiding businessmen in New Jersey. In a social media statement this morning, Baldwin called the allegations against Menendez, quote, deeply troubling. A previous indictment, that time related to gifts and campaign contributions during his 2012 re-election to the Senate, ended in a mistrial in 2017. Menendez is scheduled to appear in court tomorrow after being indicted on three counts of bribery last Friday. That's after a raid on his home found hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash, along with bars of gold. Today, Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin told Milwaukee's CBS 58 that it's working on to bring abortion care back to their Sheboygan clinic. That's after the organization resumed abortion services in Milwaukee and Madison almost two weeks ago. Michelle Velasquez, director of legal advocacy at Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin, did not share an exact timeline for bringing abortion care back to Sheboygan. She said the group needs to resolve staffing and capacity issues before moving forward. Sheboygan County District Attorney Joel Armansky has stated in the past that he will prosecute any doctors who violate the 1849 law. The top clerk in the state Senate has resigned amidst a credible allegation and subsequent investigation, reports the Capital Times. The staffer, Michael Queensland, has denied the allegations. The news of his resignation was released by Republican Senate Majority Leader Devin LeMayhew's office yesterday. While details of the allegation remain murky, WPR reports the staffer's departure is tied to an incident during a conference in mid-August. According to an archived webpage of the state legislature's website, Queensland served as the chief clerk and director of operations in the state senate. This work includes serving as the body's official custodian of records and manager of the senate's personnel, purchasing, accounting, and general business functions. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports a business professor who was investigated for grade fraud at one UW system campus went to work at another. Last year, a student in Professor Sahar Bahami's business class at UW Parkside raised concerns that his high score did not reflect his actual performance. With that, the university's business department started combing through Bahamani's grading records, and they found an unusual amount of perfect scores over a period of several years. They halted their investigation after Bamani accepted these accusations as true and offered to resign at the end of the year. After teaching at UW Parkside for another six months, UW-Milwaukee offered a one-year teaching position. Bamani resigned from that position in August. A spokesperson for UWM says that the university was not aware of the fraud investigation when they offered her a job. A TSA officer spotted and helped intercept a handgun at the Dane County Regional Airport this morning, according to the Wisconsin State Journal. During a routine security check at 5.30 a.m., the TSA officer saw the weapon on the x-ray screen and alerted the Dane County Sheriff's Office. 
This is the third firearm detected at the Dane County Regional Airport this year. TSA is often criticized for missing similar incidents. In 2015, the Department of Homeland Security carried out an undercover test in which TSA agents failed to detect 95% of security threats. More recently, the Government Accountability Office conducted a test of their own and claimed that TSA's response has improved. However, they did not publicize the exact result of the test as it, quote, as it's, quote, quote, classified sensitive information, unquote. UW Health announced that it's looking for 75 people to test a new Lyme disease vaccine. They just joined the International Phase 3 study that Pfizer started last year in collaboration with a French biotech company. The Wisconsin State Journal reports that 20 years ago, another Lyme disease vaccine was taken off the market because it was little used and not targeting and, and targeted fewer strains of tick-borne illnesses. Participants in the study will either receive the new vaccine or a placebo in a 50-50 ratio. UW Health requests folks who spend a lot of time outdoors, like dog owners, hikers, and hunters. People who have had Lyme disease may sign up, but only if they're no longer symptomatic. Enrollment starts this week and goes through December. Align Energy has recently been in the news after the company proposed controversial rate height rate hikes in the new year. Now Alliant has announced plans to build a new energy source near Portage. It's called the Energy Dome and it compresses carbon dioxide into liquid form, which is then stored until needed. When it transitions back into a gas, the CO2 powers a generator. A federal grant from the Department of Energy is supplying $30 million to the project. Pending approval, construction could begin as early as 2025. An Alliant Energy representative told Channel 3000 that they cannot determine whether or not the Energy Dome would reduce consumer prices. On this day 62 years ago, Wisconsin became the first state in the nation to require seatbelts. A Milwaukee Journal Sentinel article from 1961 reported that Wisconsin would require any vehicle models from 1962 onwards to have seatbelts in the cabin. At that time, then-Governor Gaylord Nelson characterized the law as a great step forward in traffic safety. The National Safety Council estimated that the safety measure could save up to 130 lives in Wisconsin every year. Last January, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration estimated that seatbelts, in fact, save up to 15,000 lives in the United States every year. And those were your local news headlines. We turn now to two special guests, Zoe Sullivan and Tony Castaneda, joining us this evening from the WRT Fall Pledge Drive. All right, Zoe, how's it going? Hey, good. Tony, how are you? Good. good I don't to see have you. a coffee mug, so there's no beer going into my mug. Here. The, the, I, that really wasn't beer. That was water, oh, okay. by the way, just well, to let everybody know. But I did, you did kind of explain the whole ergonomic thing, anyhow. But hey, yeah. uh, what we're here for, first of all, I want to thank one more person who did pledge. We did get one more pledge for democracy now. I want to thank Ruth. Thank you very much. Ruth, and she's an Evergreen Pledger, and she's a new one, and that is so cool. And to become an Evergreen Pledger, that means that you just tell us to take a certain amount out of your uh, uh, checking account or savings or whatever um, uh, during the month, either on the 1st or the 15th. And we do it, and we really like those because it's guaranteed income for us. We know it's there, and then we can go and waste our money on, you know, whatever we want to. We don't waste it. We can spend our money (laughs) on stuff that we need. Like tuck pointing. Well, we. What are we raising money for this time, Zoe? Do we know? 
Um, well, I think there are some things that we have not resolved yet, like tuck pointing. But, you know, I'm sure that we would also accept labor in kind if there's a mason out there who wants to come and, like, offer. Let's tell people what tuck pointing is. Let's right? tell people what tuck pointing is because I didn't know what it was. I know what it is. I actually tuck pointed before. Have you? It was I, a long time ago, I but not. I was living at a co-op and we needed to tuck point stuff. And that was one of my work jobs. Got it. Yeah, I learned what tuck pointing um, is here at WORT, so it speaks to the educational importance of It has to do with your outside and your bricks and all that, and the mortar within the bricks wears down because of wind and rain and whatever, and and it falls out, yes, and ice, and it freezes you right, and it, it, so then it gets all crumbly, and if it falls out, then the building falls apart. Exactly. So that's something that I guess Ward needs. Yeah. That's right. We got that mural coming up too. So we have um, the mural. There are the windows in the newsroom need some help. They need to be replaced because they leak when it gets really rainy. You said toilet paper. You I, know, mean, I mean, toilet paper is always. Things. All right, know, we always need toilet studio, paper. Yeah, right. There are people here again. So. And if you can't, if you can't pledge any money, but you have a whole bunch of toilet paper, <laughs> I don't know. Do. I mean, I, I feel like the trade on that is not the same as getting a mason who would do the tuck pointing. You're but, right. You know. You're, well, yes. <laughs> Anyhow, we are um, we are raising funds. We are not that word, the P word. We're not doing that. No, we're asking uh, for donations. We're asking for your support. And, you know, when I came in, I returned a little tripod to the newsroom because I was able to go out and do an interview and and use the tripod to support my recorder, you know, thanks to WORT's community-focused mission. And there are all kinds of, there was somebody in the office when I came in getting a recorder so that they could go out to the counter-protest that's happening in front of the Planned Parenthood and, clinic And cover tomorrow. it for that's our news right. department, for, for our, our very department. fine news department, which I got to say... Um, for for community radio stations anywhere, for all, all volunteer news staff, we have got one of the best, if not the best, if you ask me. Um, and it's really, really, really greatly improved. We got to give, uh, I guess we got to give a shout out to Charlie and, and the other yes. paid staff who and have really built this up. We have internships now. We've and, got. And, and recognize Molly Stentz, who also. Yes, you know, helped really build it up. Yes. B- built <clears throat> up the news department. But. The news department has consistently won Milwaukee Press Club awards for years now. Okay. And I I mean you're it is. It is very very impressive and a number of people have been trained here at WORT who have gone on to professional jobs or at least in... public radio jobs. Oh wait, that is a professional oh. one. I'm not supposed to talk bad about them anymore cuz we got too many people working there. I love you public radio. I listen to you all the time. And, I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm just kidding you every once in a while because so, you know so I think anyway, our pledge wraps, our our fundraising efforts are whatever. Hey, hey let's give, go. Give no. us a hand. Give us a hand. Give us a call or go online uh, at wardfm. Six zero eight two five six two thousand and one, and you can you know, get that um, ergonomic. Uh, you can get this beautiful lime green ergonomic mug. Apple green. App, whatever. No, it's like a difference. It's like Granny Smith apple green. Which is yes. also lime, lime-ish, if you... Anyway, uh, right. give us some support. 608-256-2001. WORTFM.org. Skateboarding is currently banned on all Wisconsin public roadways. 
Two Democratic state lawmakers are hoping to allow municipalities to determine their skateboarding policies at the local level, though. This change has bipartisan support, which was not the case when legislators proposed a similar bill more than a decade ago. WPR producer Jonah Bellicus is out with a new report about what the proposed legislation would mean to skaters across the state. He joined WORT news producer Faye Parks to talk about it earlier today. Thank you for joining me, Jonah. Wonderful to be with you. What skateboarding laws are currently on the books statewide? Currently, as it stands, skateboards are included with what's called play vehicles, and there's a law against using those on publicly owned streets, sleds, unicycles, toy vehicles. Those are some other examples of what are considered these these play vehicles. So it might be surprising because people might see skateboards all around, but technically, as it stands, that's what the law says. So how does this current law affect skateboarders in their commutes, in their daily lives, that kind of thing? Skateboarding enforcement, you know, isn't exactly uniform all across the state, right? You know, something can be illegal, but ultimately it, it might be up to local police departments and how they enforce it. But there's this kind of culture of criminalization with skateboarding that goes back to 80s and 90s. There's always been this kind of back and forth with skateboarders and the police. And I think even Nike ran the series of ads in the 90s about what if other sports were, were treated as a crime. And something that skateboarders told me was, this is now an Olympic sport. Like, why are we still deciding, you know, where these people can and cannot go? And, and ultimately, this isn't necessarily about you know, wanting to, to skateboard everywhere, right? But there's a lack of dedicated spaces where they can skateboard, especially as we get into more rural communities. The proposed change then would redefine what skateboarding is, not classified as a play vehicle any longer. Is there a strong demand for that change? And what exactly would that do? This change would give a similar exception of sorts that inline skates got. They rose in popularity, I believe, back in the 90s. So they got this exception that says, you know what, we're not going to have a blanket ban across the state from from riding these on the roadways. We'll leave it up to local municipalities to decide if they want them or not. So that's what this change would be. Is It's not necessarily saying green light everywhere you can do it, but it's up to local municipalities to say yes or no if they, if they want skateboarding to be allowed on their roadways. Skateboarders are a very passionate bunch. They are used to kind of going to these local governments at many different levels and pushing for funding for skate parks or legislative changes like this. So people were very eager to talk about the need for this change. You know, people who've been skateboarding for decades, I have people calling me from vacation out of the country just to be like, this is important. I want to talk about it. I want to see this change. If this legislation were to pass in the Capitol, it would leave skateboarding regulation to the discretion of local authorities. From your understanding, are there many localities in the state that would go on to loosen skateboarding laws? You know, that's a wonderful question. I don't have any sense. I didn't speak to government officials. I know there's been mixed results on some of these skate parks, at least from the people I talked to, right? Stevens Point, the the man I talked to, they built a skate park and they, they got the funding for it and they saw the project through. And I had another longtime skateboarder who said he was unsuccessful and kind of getting some momentum to get things going in Williams Bay. Now that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be opposition, right? Like it's We all have limited time and and governments have to decide how to spend their time and resources. But I'm not sure about who would be opposed or or open to this. But you have to think that if there is a blanket ban removed from letting people skateboard on roadways, that there would certainly be plenty that would be fine leaving that open. 
So to clarify, redefining skateboards as no longer play vehicles, that makes it easier to establish skate parks? No, these issues are not tied together necessarily. In a broader thematic sense, they are in skateboarders want places that they can legally skateboard without being talked to by the police. So that's kind of the thread there. The new legislation doesn't really have anything to do with skate parks. I just kind of tied that together through the broader theme. But yeah, just to be clear that the legislation is just about skateboarding on roads. It expands where skateboarders can skateboard legally. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, with enforcement, I don't think every police department in the state is, you know, ganning the roadways and every skateboarder is getting thrown in jail, right? I mean, sometimes it's just a talking to, sometimes it's nothing, and they just spend their time and resources elsewhere. But yeah, that's it. I was also wondering, what changes could we potentially see here in Madison? That is a good question. I know Madison has a skate park. Now, we kind of bounced around the, you know, statewide. I didn't do too much digging specifically in Madison. One of the guys that we had on our show, so this started from a segment on the morning show, and one of the guys is from the Madison area, and I think another person is kind of lives outside of Madison, but I don't have any direct information about specifics in Madison or what the city may or may not do, but I know Madison does have its own skate park, which... You know, they went through the process to get that. What are the next steps for this legislation? This legislation has made it further than it did a decade ago, only insofar if you just look at getting some more co-sponsors. It's been referred to committee, and so it's just going through the legislative process, I think. The number of co-sponsors is a positive indicator, especially getting some from both sides of the aisle, seeing as Republicans are in charge of both chambers of the legislatures. Although it was two Democrats who kind of came up with this bill or reintroduced it, there's already some Republican support. So it's also not the biggest change in the world, right? Like it's not something that you're dramatically rewriting and have to shift money and funds. So it's going to have to go through the legislative process just like anything. But at least speaking from the, the folks who introduced it, they seem a little bit more optimistic. It's a smaller change. There's already some bipartisan support that maybe this stands a better chance to move forward and, and eventually make its way into law than unsuccessful efforts in the past have gone. So you mentioned an increase in support from Republicans since the last time this was proposed 10 mm -hmm. years ago. Do you have a sense of what mm -hmm. has changed in that time? No. The representative I talked to is new. Um, I think Chris Larson from Milwaukee, the state senator, I think he was involved in the, the bill previously as well and is involved again now. But I don't know that anything dramatically changed. I didn't go through to specifically find out were they around before, are they not? I'm not sure exactly what changed. They could just, you know, be rolling the dice again. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? This was just really interesting to me because it's a community of people that are, are really passionate about this and, and they kind of feel like there's some stigmas against it and some negative public perceptions about skateboarding, but they just really see this as a is a, a fight to just have the space to do the sport that they love and the recreation. You know, the people I talk to or have been doing this for decades. They're still going, they're still skateboarding, and they, you know, keep their skateboard with them. And it's just funny that they drive by a set of stairs. They talked about how the, it never really leaves you. It just, even if you stop skateboarding, you still look at a bench and think of what you could do with that bench, how you could ride your skateboard on a ledge or a curb or a set of stairs. So it is a fascinating to see something that I'm not a skateboarder myself, but to listen to people and who really care about this topic. Thank you again for agreeing to speak with me, Jonah. 
Absolutely. Thanks so much for bringing me on. It's now 6.25 p.m. and you're listening to the live local news on WRT. We're going to check in now with Zoe and Tony to hear the news from the Pledge Drive. And, you know, you've probably seen those signs that say skateboarding is not a crime. Well, it could be now. And I take everything back that I I just want everybody to know, I want to clarify, I love WPR. And that was actually a WPR uh, guy who was reporting there. So I just love Warrant better. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> I can say that. I, I don't want to start a fight. It's not well, like having actually, it's not do. like having favorites among your but, children. Like it's okay to have, you know, to to have your allegiance be with WORT, which is primarily volunteer run and which is totally cool and very creative. And we also gave everybody at WPR their start. That's well, maybe not everybody, <laughs> but yeah, pretty much. I mean, Many, Larry many, Mueller. many people. He's the start. No, he didn't do anything here. Hey, well, let's quit talking about that. I, let's talk I have about a question. Us. Yeah. Okay, yes, so you do have a question have, about about our premiums. That's stuff, right, because right? there's a there's a a premium that's listed, a thank you gift for a fifty dollar donation for a mindless minion membership card, and I don't know what the hell that is. Um, Zo, um, I'm going to tell you something here. Um, on Friday in the afternoon at one o'clock, we have a show called Melon Floyd, and um, it's kind of it's kind of a cult thing. All right, these are mindless minions. It's like joining a cult. It's a, a funny cult, and um, and that's what a mindless minion is. And you can become a member of them. And the Mel and Mister Smarty Pants. There is a Floyd though, because I met him before, and. Um, uh, they will uh, they'll assign you a number and you can become a Mel and Floyd mindless minion um, member uh, cult member club member I think Co- oh, wait I club think, member or I cult think member? fandom is probably the more appropriate word here okay. than cult yeah okay yeah all right no I mean well let's look you know, it up because again fandom is cool cults really not oh nope, I don't know. Uh, not mean, not for the minus minion cult. That's, that's my, a fun that's cult, thought. man. Right. I mean, that's I, a cool cult. There's a, <laughs> all right. They're funny. I they are funny. I just want to say another premium that I think is really awesome looking is there is we have a uh, a glow in the dark T-shirt. Like basically, there's a a wart logo with a skull, and it's got like a pair of headphones and sunglasses on the skull that say 89.9 fm and it, it says ward on it and it's yep. yeah and it's glow in the dark so like you can go to your favorite rave or whatever and and you know show your love for wot you're right no in the dark you're right and and your parents who wanted a cool shirt yeah. that Right. Call them up. Tell them to pledge. Hey, by the way, did we get any pledges yet? 608-256-2001. Give us a call. Dave, is there anything online? No. Hey, what's going on out there, everybody? Give us a call. I mean, I know the news 608 is 2001 It is very fascinating, and it's done really well. It is. And uh, we got the best news department in the world. In Madison, for sure. Uh, 608-256-2001. Give us a call on here and pledge. Help us get that toilet paper. Time is now 6.32, and you're listening to the local news on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm Sarah Hopeful, here with Christian Knutson. Thanks for joining us. 
In 2009, Madison declared the flamingo as the city's official bird. That is the pink plastic kind placed on front lawns. But two days ago, a flock of live flamingos, complete with feathers, was spotted on the shores of Lake Michigan to general excitement. In this edition of Wildlife Wildlife Weekly, Jackie Sandberg explains how they may have ended up so far north. Welcome to Wildlife Weekly. My name is Jackie Sandberg, and I'm the Wildlife Program Manager for the Dane County Humane Society here in Madison, Wisconsin. Each week, we choose a topic related to wildlife rehabilitation or the environment, and today we get to talk about flamingos. I am so excited that we get to talk about flamingos here on WORT because they are the coolest birds. They are all over in Wisconsin, everywhere, since 1979. That's just a little bit of a joke, but guess what? They've been all over Wisconsin, it seems like, in 2023. So let's start talking about the American flamingo, also known as the Caribbean flamingo. Wisconsin has been obsessed with flamingos for a long time, and in 1979, it was the first time that they appeared on Bascom Hill at UW-Madison, and it was supposed to be a stunt, but it has then taken off, and it was 1,008 plastic flamingos that went all over Bascom Hill, and it has since then just been part of the UW history. It was a prank that continues, and now it's for fundraising efforts, and we have then continued to take this tradition of having flamingos, which usually are nowhere near our state, to the max by, you know, naming our teams after them. So when we think about the Madison forwards and how we've got the flock, uh, if you're a soccer fan, you know that flamingos are just iconic in Wisconsin. And guess what? They showed up in Wisconsin for the first time ever, state record this year. It is just shocking. On Friday, the birds showed up in Port Washington, which was about 25 miles north of Milwaukee, and it is now officially the first sighting in the state. There were five of them, three adults, two young ones. They were just hanging out in the water. They were happy. They looked fine. It's a really cool thing because flamingos are known for being pretty migratory, sometimes going pretty far off course. There have been a number of years when flamingos have just shown up in the most random of places. The first time I remember hearing about it, I was in college and I heard about the flamingos that ended up in Siberia that needed to be relocated. Why did they go so far off course? It's because usually of the weather, uh, maybe just some sort of accident or food or some sort of availability or they just follow the Lorong flock. Nobody really knows, but weather has been a huge part of it. The recent hurricanes have definitely been putting flamingos off course this year in 2023. So they've had evidence of flamingos being in Ohio, Pennsylvania. They've had a whole bunch in Georgia, North in South Carolina, in Texas, Kentucky. So just all over the map this year with the hurricanes just blowing them all off course, maybe not knowing where they're going. It's amazing to see this bright pink bird out in somewhere that they typically wouldn't have been found. They are technically native to North America. There's some hot debate there. It sounds like most of the research have shown now that they think that Florida's population is probably more of a wild population that's been in recovery since the 1920s. A lot 
lot of people wanted their feathers, wanted to collect their eggs. There were captive colonies of flamingos also in the southern part of Florida at the same time, so it was hard to know because some of them kept escaping, whether the population in Florida was escaped populations of flamingos or if they were actually native. But it seems that most of the consensus has come around to saying, you know what, we're going to call them native or at least not non-native to Florida. And so we call them a part of the North American native birds that are here. So seeing them in Wisconsin now and all these other states just makes me kind of giggle because it's so cool. Of course, as rehabilitators, we are always aware of these situations as they come up. People tell us all the time we have to be on the ready because sometimes those birds are off course in a place where they don't have a lot of good food to eat and they might also get sick or injured or tired from the long distance. There have been times where a rare species ends up at our doors. So I thought it was worth talking about just in case you happen to find that flamingo in your backyard, you know, boathouse, whatever happens, happens. It's sometimes one of those, well, you know, you just kind of let the bird be. Sometimes they find their way back. Other times Department of Natural Resources or Fish and Wildlife have gotten involved. At this point, the five that have been in Wisconsin were doing just fine. Also, fun fact for your day, the flamingos get that pink color from the food that they eat. Just probably the coolest species ever. Those giant bills, those long legs, the pink color. Wisconsin, now a flamingo state officially. So thanks for listening here on WORT. This has been our Wildlife Weekly segment. If you ever find a sick, injured, or orphaned wild animal or need more details about anything, give us a call at 608-287-3235. Thanks for listening. This has been Wildlife Weekly. Thank you, Jackie, for that episode of Wildlife Weekly. We're going to check in now with Zoe and Tony to hear the news from the Pledge Drive. Yeah, Tony, have we had any any calls? Do we have any pledges to announce? We have no news. What? Uh, this is the what? local news show, and we have no news, and I feel very embarrassed about that, <laughs> and it's very hard to embarrass me. Actually, I get embarrassed all the time, but I I think maybe we should pled, uh, spend some time instead of talking about cults and whatever and else we were talking about. Let's talk about pledging. Let's talk about six zero eight two five six two thousand and one. Give us a call here at WRT or go online and pledge. Um, at least 78% of our budget is uh, is Comes pledges. From, it's from people, right. from listeners. From the community. And uh, this is the first day of our pledge drive, uh, yes. And, uh, we, you know, we sometimes it, it, it starts slow, right? And then it picks up as the things go on and the weekend comes, of course. I mean, sometimes, and, you know, but it could also comes. just start off with a bang. And I know it. Keep, so let's keep do going it. I mean, the democracy now, we've met our goal. So That's right. Come on What's out, our everybody. goal for tonight, for this for this hour? I, 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 I mean, know. basically you five Didn't five you read calls. the instructions? No. I, I, I did. I, didn't you I read did, our, but it didn't include that. Uh, I'm going to say, so we would like Oh, no, we, we would, would like, like to five, get the same amount, three to people. four, but let's get yeah. five people to give us a call down here at yeah. 608-256-2001. Um, Every little bit helps. You not, know? not only that, we ran out of witty stuff to say. <laughs> right. And uh, so, uh, Although, yes. Although, I mean, we, to fo- how do you follow up flamingos in Lake Michigan? There's just nothing, like, there is no, there's no following that up. You no, can't. you actually said that they're supposed to be flying from Mexico to Cuba. So how right. do they end up here? I mean, they it's got blown a, a hurricane. here, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. But this is why people love to listen to WRT, because we have reporters who cover things like, how did flamingos end up here? Do you think it has something to do with uh, climate uh, change? Climate change? Ding, 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 ding. 
we should get we should get someone calling to pledge just for that. Hey, like can I yes. Have one of, your potato chips? of course you're gonna have one they of my potato good. chips. All right, good. I'm gonna eat a potato it's, chip it's, on air. It's Dave pledge Allen. drive, so we've got, you know, snacks in the back room and I brought potato chips in. And I'm just crunching away favorite. on the air because it's really good radio. I, I think that Really, this you know glow in the dark T-shirt is people should be making the phones ring off the hook for that because that is just too cool. No, can you tell me? And though, it comes in red, royal blue, purple, and black. The Apple Green Bistro mug, though, ergonomic. You spoke really highly of it because you said that your well, coffee cups put a, 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 dent, in, a indentation in my, into your into your actual finger. Yeah, because they're not ergonomic. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's why, but they certainly, you know, it doesn't have to do if with I that. hold on to them and they're relatively full. If I'm hanging on to that mug for too long, yeah, I have a dent in my skin. Really? Yeah. And maybe these apple green ergonomic ones, you don't. I end mean, up that if is that is entirely it. possible. It, maybe not. I mean, I know. You maybe know. it's like if you put this if you put down, if you put it down on the table or desk. I mean, then it certainly then, will not course, dent your fingers. Right. So if you hold it for a long time, right. Right. So, but this is the kind of experiment that you could be doing at home, you know, rather than just having the theoretical conversation about what happens with your coffee mug and whether your fingers get dented, you could call up and pledge 60 bucks and get this beautiful apple slash lime green bistro mug, which is ergonomically designed and holds 20 ounces, which is a good amount. And, and call and let us know if you can hear me crunching away on this potato chip, because this is an experiment that I'm doing right now. Anyway, 608-256-2001. Give us a call. Make a Go pledge. Online. Help us get this tuck pointing done. Help us repair the windows in the newsroom so that they don't leak when it rains or when the snow melts. And I just got a report. We're all good on the toilet paper. I mean, that's but, that's good well, you know, for one thing. I mean, okay. that's at least one thing we can say. But, oh. you know, we're always like... We're always in need of new recorders that reporters can take out to record things like this person who came in to go record the counter protest tomorrow at mm-hmm. Planned Parenthood. Right. Um, we always need mics. We always need new headphones in the studio. And we also need, you know, honestly, like staff need to have things like their salaries and their health care. And, you yeah. know, your funding, your your well, donations it, help with that. Essentially, it just keeps the station going, W-O-R-T. That's right. And that's yep. what it's really about. When it comes down to it, it's just about W-O-R-T, this radio station, keeping it on the air, all these little things that, you know, we're talking about. The most important well, things. Well, we talk, we talk so much about, you know, how important local news is and is. how, you know, newspapers have died because all of their advertising was sucked away by social media platforms. Yes. Wart is an exception, and it's an exception because of you and your donations. So call us at 608-256-2001. Also because of our great volunteers in the news department. Also, like, absolutely. You know, 608-256-2001 or WORTFM.org. All right. On this week's Cardinal Call, contributors Hewan Lim and Gavin Escott discussed an accessible transit on the UW campus with Daily Cardinal reporter Sanjeev Anand. Hello, and welcome to The Cardinal Call, your weekly dose of news coming out of the UW-Madison campus from the Daily Cardinal student newspaper. I'm your co-host, Gavin Escott. And I'm your co-host, Hiwan Lim. Today, we're joined by our campus news writer, Sanjeev Anand, to discuss the ongoing accessibility issues across Madison's transportation. Sanjeev, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. 
Could you give me an overview of the options available to a student with a mobility disability? So for students with disabilities on campus, there are more or less three options in total. The first one is taking the 80 routes all over campus, which is a free university-funded bus ride. For these rides, you don't have to go through any prior qualifications to sort of be eligible for extra care and uh, securement of any mobility aid you have. The second option would be the Metro Transit Paratransit Service, which is again like the 80, the university funds it and it's a service given through Madison Metro. The process of becoming qualified for Metro Transit's paratransit process involves downloading and filling out an application form and you have to sort of qualify as eligible for that service, but it does take you to many off-campus locations and provides a flexible form of paratransit. Lastly, we also have a campus shuttle service provided through Go Right Way. This is basically a more flexible and accessible option for students with disabilities, whether they're short-term disabilities or long-term disabilities, to move around campus on a more time-flexible basis. So you can schedule a ride up to one hour before your intended departure time, and accessible circulator shuttle will come and pick you up and take you where you need to go. Are there any hurdles to getting access on these services? Is being a student enough? So for the Go Rightway Campus Shuttle Service, there are minimal hurdles to getting a shuttle to take you anywhere you want to go. So you don't have to fill in any forms or you don't have to ensure that you are eligible to receive paratransit as a student with a disability. So it's a great option for students who have short-term disabilities as well as long-term disabilities and who need the flexibility to schedule a ride within the few hours leading up to a class or even within one hour of it. On the other hand, the Metro Transit Paratransit service is a bit more intensive of a process and involves going through a few checks and having to go through a process which certifies you as eligible for that service. So it's a bit more intensive and Emmett Lockwood, the equity and inclusion chair of ASM. The student government. Yeah, Associated Students of Madison did a fantastic job in detailing that to me. In your article, you talk to students who regularly utilize these shuttle services. What has their experience been like? It's been a difficult experience for sure. We know how big our campus is. It's about 938 acres, and Madison's landscape is very hilly, as we know, and with classes being so spread out, and oftentimes even within close times of each other, there are a lot of students on campus who have 15 minutes to run up Bascom Hill or all the way across campus to get to their next class. Mobility across campus is a really important function for any student to have. Oftentimes, from what I heard from the student I talked to, accessing paratransit on campus can be a little difficult, especially when there are only two campus shuttles running around instead of a greater number that can accommodate the many students we have on campus that need these services. Oftentimes, it can be really hard to even utilize Madison Metro's 80 routes, especially for students with disabilities, just because of the sheer number of students we have on campus. We have a lot of pushing, overcrowdedness, all of these kind of elements on the 80 buses in campus, which make it really hard for students with both mobility issues as well as students with disabilities that relate to more sensory situations. You know, even students with hearing loss or sight impairments, it forms a very overwhelming atmosphere that can often result in more chaos than order and result in a difficult time accessing transit and moving around campus.
I was really struck reading reporting by the interactions some students described with drivers, where these drivers in paratransit and shuttle services, they described them as unprepared to handle wheelchairs, in some cases accidentally damaging them. How can students respond when a shuttle service mishandles their wheelchair? At this point of time, ASM, in coordination with McBurney and the University Transportation Services, have created a form that allows students to submit any formal complaints they have on how either their mobility aid was handled or on punctuality issues with shuttles arriving on time to take them to classes. This form allows them to share information in a way that is circulated and shared between the relevant organizations to ensuring uh, accessible and reliable parity transit services on campus. This was established as of last spring and wasn't there before. So Emmett Lockwood, the ASM Equity and Inclusivity Chair, detailed this to me. And in addition to that, there are individuals in McBurney, in University Transportation Services, especially directorship that you can reach out to. You can email them, contact them anytime you need to and get any resource help you need. Talking to Emmett Lockwood, what were some of the major concerns that students have expressed? And was there any one thing in particular that sparked the creation of this program you talked about? Emmett mentioned that the two major reasons for why this program, or rather way of providing feedback and formal complaints, was created was one being the risk of mobility aid being damaged when being transported, especially by campus shuttle services. A lot of times students felt that drivers inappropriately secured their mobility aid, and mobility aid is really expensive. As Breland Billy, a student I talked to who advocates for disability rights and who faced some of these challenges herself, as she detailed, her first wheelchair, which was a non-customized one, costed $700, and then her customized one, approximately $12,000 in total. So these are not just pieces of equipment that can be handled carelessly or that can be roughly secured before rushing a student to their class on time. It requires a lot of a delicate touch. A very delicate touch, exactly. And a knowledgeable touch, uh, more than delicate even. So Billy and other students definitely felt as if their mobility aid was constantly put at risk. And if they didn't have the one or two drivers that they got to know really well across the school year who knew how to handle their aid, it would be a continuous process of having to teach drivers over and over again on how to secure their aid and sort of go through that process repeatedly. Is there anything else you learned over the course of your reporting that stood out to you? An observation I made through the course of my reporting was that issues regarding disability rights and issues regarding accessibility on campus definitely need a lot more coverage because there is a whole population of people out there trying to advocate for this and trying to improve campus access and a feeling of inclusivity across campus grounds. So I think it's an issue that definitely needs a lot more light to be shed upon, and I'm hoping that we start moving that way for sure. How do you see the future of accessible transportation in Madison? This was actually a question I discussed with both Emmett and Billy, and they both had some pretty unique and pretty detailed opinions to share on that. So Emmett talked me through the fact that ASM and University Transportation Services are trying to move to a more universal design, which also involves educating student populations and just the community in general, being aware that some students and community members face certain limitations to their mobility and will require priority 
in many transportation scenarios. For example, ensuring that the ADs remain a safe mode of transport for individuals with disabilities is one of the priorities. And in addition to that, ASM is also probing more into how the university can provide safer and accessible ways of transporting students around campus. Billy, that would be Breland Billy. The student you talk to. The student I talk to, exactly. She expressed how she thinks that the university should also invest in their own paratransit service so there are no issues with contracting to third parties and having to sort of manage any issues that come up with that relationship as well as communicate between the lines that way. So I think those were two viewpoints on how we can sort of improve our paratransit that were brought up in the research for my article. Sanjeev, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And now it's time for our weekly news recap. A new exhibit at Memorial Library celebrates Phyllis Wheatley, a landmark figure in American, African-American, and women's history. Wheatley published poems on various subjects, religious and moral, in 1773, making her the first African-American woman to publish a book of poetry and only the third colonial American woman of any race to publish a book. The exhibit, which commemorates the 250th anniversary of the publication, will run in Memorial Library's special collections until December 22, 2023. In other news, Chancellor Mnookin enlists an ad hoc study group to research the experience of Black students on campus. The ad hoc study group on the Black community experience on the UW-Madison campus began meeting in late August and is comprised of students, faculty members, and members of the community. UW-Madison officials formed the group to recommend steps to improve the experience of the UW-Madison Black community after a video of a white UW-Madison student saying racial slurs circulated in May. The Black Power Coalition met with the Chancellor's office multiple times this summer after leading a sit-in demonstration outside of the Chancellor's office in May. UW-Madison officials also recently confirmed the university would not cut diversity, equity, and inclusion positions from its budget and is looking for ways to expand its diversity umbrella, despite pressure from Republican lawmakers. The group plans to meet numerous times throughout the semester and plans to report back to Minukin in late January 2024. And in other news, the engineering building flooded on Friday, interrupting classes. According to a news release, a chilled water system pipe burst, leading to 55,000 gallons of water, causing damages to all floors of the engineering building. UW officials are still attempting to learn the extent of the flooding damage and will provide more communication as they learn more, according to the dean of the UW-Madison College of Engineering, Ian Robertson. And finally, in sports news, Wisconsin volleyball kicks off their season with two victories, one against Indiana and the other against Northwestern. That's all for our Cardinal Call this week. We'll catch you back here soon. Check out more news and stories at dailycardinal.com. This has been the Cardinal Call, created by student journalists at UW-Madison. Have you supported your local independent media station today? Zoe and Tony are here to bring us this report from the Pledge Drive. Yeah, we're really happy. We are very happy. (laughs) The University of Wisconsin volleyball team emerged victorious, and so have we, thanks to Wendy um, in Sauk City, who donated very generously for the first time. Thank you so much, Wendy. Um, In fact, Wendy is not only a new um, donor, she says that she is actually too new a wart listener 
to have favorite shows, which is incredible. And so, wow. um, we, thank you, we are Wendy, and welcome to honored. Ward. Wendy, yeah, it's cool. Exactly. We're, and we're really cool. There's a really, <laughs> there's a really good show on Thursday mornings at eight o'clock. You should listen to. It's like <laughs> right voted like one of the best shows ever in so, the world. Says the MC of the show <laughs> himself. Uh, no bias there. Anyway, uh, yeah. Um, but Wendy, thank you so much, and we're glad because I was starting to take it personally. And <laughs> why did she pledge? Because she loves us, obviously. Oh, I, I because, thought it was because, because I was eating those potato chips on the air. Probably not that. It's okay. probably because she values the local, handcrafted news that that we deliver multiple times a day. Frankly, you know, here at W O R T, and you know, we really need to to thank all of our volunteers, including the people at Cardinal Call. Um, that guy from WPR. The Jonah, <laughs> from, who who was a Wart was staffer. And, that guy and was too? Is, oh, we only got one minute here, but uh, give us a call 256-2001 and, and join Wendy. Pledge your support to WRT. Uh, Sarah and Christian are doing a great job of reading the news today. And thank you. That just shows, I mean, it's everything is professional about this show except for me, all right, today. But, no, no but that's the way I roll, all right? And that's what's good about Ward is... So again, if you happen to have, you know, uh, a Mason friend or acquaintance or buddy and who's willing to do some tuck pointing work, that would be awesome. We would otherwise love, it's gonna would be, love otherwise to, I'm gonna have to do it. Otherwise Tony's gonna have to do it, you know, going back to his co op days. Six oh eight two five six two thousand and one to to Make a donation or wrtfm.org. That co-op, uh, it fell down, though. The whole building fell down. because uh, No, it didn't. Hey, uh, the 256-2001-award.fm.org. Uh, Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Sarah and Christian, for uh, Enzo. Very nice to uh, see you again. And uh, we'll, we'll run into you. I'm yep. going to go watch the Brewers. Call, call I'm gonna go get watch one of those Brewers. fantastic glow-in-the-dark t-shirts. Brewers going to clinch the, the, the division today. Yeah. Right on. And that does it for our show. Thanks for listening to WORT's Live Local News at 6. Special thanks to future contributors Jackie Sandberg and the Cardinal Call crew, Gavin Escott and Hewan Lim. Super Dave Lawrenson got the news on the air. Charlie Pittman is the news director at WORT. And Faye Parks produces newscast, and I'm your host, Sarah Hopeful. And thanks to our caller who called in her pledge of support this hour. She made it happen. And I'm your host, Christian Knutson. Up next is Spanish Language News with Noise Patio. Good night. <laughs>